What is up, guys, and welcome back into another episode of the Blake Pace Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Pace. We're sitting here Thursday, July 26th. We are exactly one week away from some preseason NFL football, the Hall of Fame game just a week away from today, so we are getting there. It's been a long offseason. We're approaching training camp. A majority of the teams have reported to their training camps at this point on July 26th. Um, we've seen, you know, a, a few quarterbacks throwing their first, you know, you know, practicing with their teams for the first time in a while. Um, a couple guys not showing up. Um, so, you know, stuff that we expected. Uh, you know, a lot has happened in the past week or so in the NFL. So we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to, of course, talk about Todd Gurley's um, contract extension and what that means for several other players in the organization, other young running backs, teammates uh, for the Rams as well. Um, what it means for the position moving forward, too. Uh, we're also going to touch back in on Julio Jones. Um, you know, I had a uh, a really interesting topic or a discussion uh, last week about Julio Jones and how I kind of foreshadowed that the Falcons are really trying to just um, lower Julio Jones's production, kind of, and then, you know, move on from him or use that against him when it comes to contract negotiations. We'll check back in because there have been some more recent updates with that. Um, we're going to preview, uh, two other teams today. We're going to finish up the AFC South. Uh, last week I previewed the upcoming season for the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, and today we are going to do the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. Um, the AFC South is just so confusing to me. I, it, it could go a number of different ways. You've got Deshaun Watson coming back, Andrew Luck coming back, maybe the best roster, um, in the NFL top to bottom in Jacksonville. Uh, Tennessee, of course, made some great additions in the offseason, new coaching staff, um, young quarterback, definitely, you know, to me, the most intriguing um, division in football, or at least specifically in the AFC. Um, So we'll finish up that. And then, yeah, I'm excited to get started. I'm excited to get back into some football. Um, You know, these past few weeks, even just, you know, talking on the show, it's kind of just been, you know, the down part of the year. But, you know, once we see guys on the field, once we see them, you know, playing, um, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot more fun. We'll get ready towards the regular season. A lot of fun things planned specifically for the show. I'm excited. So let's just jump right into things. So of course we have to start with probably the biggest news of the week. And that was, uh, Todd Gurley, um, receiving a contract extension with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Adam Schefter reported that it is a four-year extension, which, you know, bumps his deal through the 2023 season, and it's worth up to $60 million with $45 million of it guaranteed. Um, these numbers, of course, are the most for any running back in the NFL, and this is, this is just I- extremely interesting on many different parts. First of all, as I have expressed almost every episode of this show, I am for the players getting their money when they can. You know, careers can end in a minute, in a second, in a play. Go and get that money when you can. Todd Gurley did that. And, you know, honestly, you know, he's in a great situation. Um, You know, the Rams have one of, you know, the better rosters in football. Um, In my mind, they have, you know, a top two offensive coordinator in football currently with Sean McVay as their head coach. Um, You know, Jared Goff, a young quarterback, great receivers, decent offensive line, uh, you know, you know, stars on just about, you know, the secondary defensive line, linebackings, you know, a little bit of an issue, but they have Todd Gurley. Um, And I think the biggest thing that came to Gurley getting this extension was just um, his value, not just as a running back, but as a receiver. And, you know, that's something that people were saying, well, why Le'Veon Bell deserves more money. Um, And, you know, this deal, 
for Todd Gurley is really just to show he's a young guy, um, only just 23 years old, um, has established himself already as, you know, a top running back in football. Some want to call him the best in there. Um, I definitely have, you have to consider him in, you know, the top three, top four discussion. Um, you know, he's a two-time pro bowler already in his career. Uh, he, he's the future at the running back position. You've got some of these other top guys at running back, Le'Veon Bell, getting a little bit older. Um, of course, David Johnson coming off an injury. Zeke, of course, is a young guy who's, uh, you know, up and coming. Saquon Barkley, Devonta Freeman. There's a ton, a ton of top elite running backs. But after the year that Gurley had, um, you know, being the leading receiver uh, in receptions for the Rams, um, also being, you know, a great uh, running back, He's a perfect fit in that offensive system with, you know, all that he can do in a complicated offense, um, which was why I don't think the Rams really wanted to waste any more time in extending him because, you know, if he even, you know, had similar numbers next year or potentially even better numbers under, you know, with another year under um, Jared Goff's belt, uh, you know, improved offensive line, things just, you know, sometimes you don't really get your best production in the first year of a new um, scheme coaching staff. You know, some teams take a step back. I mean, of course the Rams took a huge step forward from where they were with Jeff Fisher, but there's potential that it could, you know, be better even in the second year of everything. Um, so, you know, if he put out those same amount of numbers or even better next season, we, they might be looking at, you know, 17 million a year, 18 million a year for Todd Gurley. And so I think they made the right decision in tying him up now uh, through the 2023 season. So they've got him for a while. Um, they'll, they'll essentially have him through the prime of his career. Like I said, 23 years old. He is, you know, running backs tend to hit that point around 30, 31, where they take a little bit of a step back and, you know, all the, just the beatings they take early on in their career. Um, so now, you know, the Rams ensure themselves that they will have Todd Gurley through the rest of his, you know, better days, um, and they can build around him and some other key pieces on there. Um, but you know, this, this has a larger impact than just Gurley. Uh, you know, there are a few guys just off the top of my head that extremely benefit from this deal. Um, the first has to be Ezekiel Elliott and David Johnson, um, both young guys recently, you know, out of the NFL draft a couple years back some of the best running backs in the game right now. Um, you know, David Johnson is coming off of a season ending uh, wrist injury in week one of last season. Um, so, you know, return to full health. If you see, you know, the, the numbers improve and he is still capable of being the dominant running back and receiver that he was for Arizona. Um, you know, him and Ezekiel Elliott playing behind that great offensive line. Ezekiel is a top five running back in the NFL. They're both young guys that could get similar, um, you know, extensions now because Todd Gurley has set the new standard for star um, running backs. Now, do I believe that, you know, either might get paid just as much as Todd Gurley? Uh, you know, I would argue that Zeke doesn't provide as much in the receiving game as Todd Gurley. David Johnson definitely does provide as much in the receiving game, but of course, injury history, take that into consideration, his numbers that he might put up next season. Um, you know, I, you know, I expect maybe, um, you know, David Johnson to get around the same as Todd Gurley, Zeke as well, maybe a little bit shorter just because he doesn't provide as much in the receiving game. Um, but one thing that I saw that was really interesting is people, you know, their first take was like, okay, so Todd Gurley got all this money. That means Le'Veon Bell is going to get at least that amount, right? Um, you know, it was rumored Le'Veon Bell was, you know, offered 15 million a year, declined it because he wanted to be in that 17 million year range. Um, and you know, though everyone was, oh, oh, this is great for Le'Veon, you know, at the end of next season, that's the new standard. He can get more than that. 
And I'm a little bit hesitant to say that he can get that because Le'Veon Bell is in a different part of his career than Todd Gurley. Le'Veon is still a top running back in football. He's definitely been banged up. He's been one of the most used uh, running backs in football. I think he led the league last year in carries, um, you know, and he's going, you know, he's 26 years old right now, 27 by the end of next season. Are we sure that there are going to be teams willing to pay a guy a four-year extension like uh, like <clears throat> Todd Gurley recently got this past week? Our team's going to say, well, we'll take Le'Veon Bell and, you know, we'll give him around the same deal for four years. And by the end of his contract, he's making, you know, $15 million at the age of 31, 30 typically when those type of running backs hit the end of their careers. And I don't think teams are going to be willing to pay Le'Veon that much through the end of his career. I think he might be able to get a, a two-year or three-year at most deal um, around the same type of money. I don't think he'll be able to get above that anymore because I do believe NFL franchises would take a look at you know, Todd Gurley, his situation, his age, uh, the offense that he works in, and then Le'Veon, his age, offensive scheme, all that same stuff. And I, they would look at that and say, well, I'd rather have Todd Gurley for that money. Um, I'm not sure if I'm willing to pay Le'Veon at this point. He's got three or so extra years of just wear and tear on his body. Um, so, you know, people rushed and said, oh, this is great for Le'Veon Bell. He's going to get, you know, more than Todd Gurley, higher, you know, highest paid running back in the NFL. And the way I look at it is that he, this signing was kind of like only really had a negative impact on Le'Veon Bell just because there's a running back that some view as better than Le'Veon who got what the Steelers were offering Bell this past offseason. It was rumored that they were, you know, trying to meet at $15 million, um, or the Steelers were trying to meet at $15 million. Le'Veon wanted above that. He wanted that $16, $17 million uh, range simply because, you know, you look at Antonio Brown on that team as well. Antonio's making around that same amount of money, so Le'Veon wanted that. Um, he said, well, I provide a lot in the receiving game as well. I should be treated as a combo running back receiver. Um, and then Todd Gurley, you kind of look at that. Um, he does the same, if not more, in the passing offense in Los Angeles than Bell does in Pittsburgh. So at the end of the day, why are you going to give more money to a guy who technically does less um, and is older, more injury history, more, you know, years of wear and tear on his body. I just don't see that happening. Um, so this signing kind of just, you know, puts Le'Veon Bell in an interesting place and a lot is going to play on it this year, how he performs, how healthy he stays, what his numbers look like. Um, this is easily going to be the biggest year of Le'Veon Bell's career. And if he wants to get that top money in that same range as Todd Gurley, he is going to need to show the Steelers, show the NFL, show other teams that, you know, he can go into 26, 27 years old, injury history, wear and tear, and still put up elite numbers at the position. So now, of course, there's the obvious second elephant in the room. Of course, the first being Le'Veon Bell and his whole situation after this extension. Some think it plays into his favor. I don't see it that way just because of age, health, um, and kind of just the point in his career that he's at. Um, Aaron Donald. Uh, who I consider the best defensive tackle in football, if not top two, along with um, Fletcher Cox in Philadelphia. Um, he is uh, sitting out of training camp. He's holding out because uh, amid contract uh, negotiations. And the report is, is that he won't play another down without a new contract. Um, and this is just extremely interesting to me because of the people to receive extensions um, or, you know, high salary cap numbers, um, this past offseason for the Rams, 
I honestly thought that Donald would be the first one to get a deal like this. Um, you know, they went and signed Brandon Cooks to a multi-year extension worth, I think, in the mid-50s, uh, 50 million range, or, you know, maybe broken in the 60s, I believe. Of course, Todd Gurley just became the highest paid running back of all time uh, earlier this week. They also brought in Nadama Kung Su, and I think he's making $14 million, uh, to play for the Rams next season. Of course, you know, they've got guys all around the football field making a decent amount of money, but, you know, probably their best overall player is only set to make $6.9 million next season. And, of course, that is absurdly low given, you know, his significant impact he has in the middle of the defense. Um, you know, like I said, a top two defensive tackle. Um, and this one is is kind of... I believe at the end of the day that the Rams will end up, uh, you know, paying Aaron Donald handsomely um, as he deserves, you know, as you know, that one of, if not the highest paid defensive tackle in football, but then it leaves the Rams in the interesting situation. We have a lot of money tied up in a lot of different places. And, um, you know, what's going to be interesting to see beyond all of these extensions, Aaron Donald, um, if you want to bring back some of the guys that you traded for, that you know, Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, Nadama Kungsu, if you want to keep them as Rams, of course, they are probably going to, you know, require at least a decent salary, um, you know, beyond their current contracts. Um, you also have to worry about some of the young receivers, Cooper Cup, uh, Robert Woods. Um, but then also, you got to worry about the former number one overall pick, Jared Goff. Uh, he, you know, has a few more years left on his deal, you know, just coming into his third season in the NFL. Um, to me, Jared Goff is replaceable. Um, I know people, you know, Vegas, I, I truly believe that he might be the most overrated player going into next season. I, I believe the last time I looked at Vegas odds, he was the ninth highest favorite to win NFL MVP. And I look and I say, well, there are probably two at least other players on the Rams that are more deserving of an MVP trophy than Jared Goff. Um, you know, I don't believe that he's, you know, this athletically gifted individual who works great out of the pocket. I think he is, you know, a perfect type of quarterback, a system quarterback. And I know people are going to kill me for saying it, but when you've got Sean McVay and you've got a tremendous offensive scheme in place, if not, you know, maybe the best offensive scheme in football, um, we've seen it, you know, even in, you know, recent years that average quarterbacks can do it, you know, with relatively well and have, you know, postseason success. If you want to look at last year, Minnesota, Case Keenum, some consider him a system quarterback next season in Denver will prove that. Um, but, you know, got to the NFC championship game, Nick Foles, um, you know, fit into a good offensive scheme, won the Super Bowl. Uh, Jacksonville, Blake Bortles really isn't a scheme quarterback um, or, a, or a system quarterback. I don't really like Blake Bortles as a quarterback, as you all know. Um, but, you know, he showed that, you know, if you have stars around the field, you can get to the AFC Championship game. And I really think that's what the Rams are planning on doing. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, a few years down the road, they play out with extending Jared Goff or what they do with him. But if I'm the Rams and I have, you know, a really high paid wide receiver in Brandon Cooks, I've got, you know, the highest paid defensive tackle in football, the highest paid running back in football. You know, why wouldn't I be okay with bringing in another system quarterback? Maybe a guy that's older, um, maybe a few years down the road, and it's like a Case Keenum situation. You bring him back uh, to the Rams. That would definitely be an interesting uh, story. But, you know, I, I don't want to say that, you know, the Rams are going to give up on, you know, the number one overall pick 
from just three years ago. But it's it'll be interesting to see because, you know, the Jags, uh, a team that I consider to be in the Super Bowl window, are kind of ruining it because they're, they had to pay, you know, their quarterback who really hasn't lived up to expectations. They're paying him a decent amount. Um, and so, you know, maybe even just, you know, it, it shows you that a below average quarterback can, you know, push a team to the AFC championship when there's a stellar roster around him. It really has, you know, shown that there's a, a lower value placed on uh, on franchise quarterbacks. Um, of course, when you've got the elite talents, the Rodgers, the Brady's, um, you know, Russell Wilson, they can carry teams to, you know, seven, eight wins a season. But as we saw Philadelphia, Minnesota, Jacksonville last year, all average, some would consider system quarterbacks made it to their respective conference championships. So if I'm the Rams and I'm paying all of these stars on the field, you know, a, a top paid wide receiver, the highest paid running back, the highest paid defensive tackle, you've got Aqib Tlaib, um, Marcus Peters, Ndamukong Su all making money. Um, do I necessarily feel like Jared Goff is worth, you know, top five money at the quarterback position. Um, his numbers will look great, but I think that that, you know, there's a lot to be said about an average quarterback's numbers in an amazing offensive system. Um, this was just a little side rant that I hadn't anticipated on uh, for this episode, but it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see when a team that is successful, because I do believe that the Rams are all in on their Super Bowl window right now, how it will play out. Um, when they have to pay their quarterback. Because if you look at recent history, it doesn't go that well. The most recent example, uh, Seattle Seahawks. Draft Russell Wilson, third round, don't expect much from him, but he is, you know, boom potential, a top quarterback in the league. They have this roster built around them already with a stellar defense. Marshawn Lynch at running back. They win uh, not one, but two Super Bowls in that period. What happens when you have to pay Russell Wilson? Well, he gets top quarterback money. You got to cut ties with some of the guys that, you know, were stars on your team that were really, you know, the, 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 you know, meat and bones to that team. Um, and of course they get older and you're, you're paying some guys money that they really can't afford. And then next thing you know, you have to get rid of Richard Sherman, you know, uh, trade away <clears throat> or get rid of Cliff Averill. You have to trade away. Uh, Michael Bennett and then all of a sudden you're looking at a pretty empty roster no running game one of the worst offensive lines in football and really I believe that the Seahawks should be in a rebuilding period and it, it just shows how quickly you can go from a Super Bowl window with you know a, a rookie or a young quarterback and as soon as you have to pay him it all go to shit because you can't afford to fill out the rest of the roster so you know the Rams I view as one of the more progressive thinking organizations in the league I think that they're very far ahead um, in terms of you know capitalizing on that Super Bowl window, but also managing, you know, their salary caps well. Um, it'll be extremely interesting to see where the Rams are three years down the road where it's you have to extend Jared Goff. And he says, you know, look at my numbers, look at the wins that we've had. Do we have a Super Bowl together? Um, I want to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, whereas the Rams might look at him and say, look, you're playing in this stellar offense, best defensive tackle in football, best running back in football. We've got weapons all around you you are really just, you know, another guy that we have in here and we could make this work with, you know, a list of other NFL quarterbacks. So, um, you know, didn't really think that I was going to get into talking about this too much today. Um, but you know, foreshadowing years from now, just the situation that the Rams and Jared Goff might find themselves in definitely interesting to think about, um, amid, you know, the recent contract negotiations, um, you know, and contract extensions that the Rams have, uh, doled out this off season. Next topic of the day, and we're going to touch back on a topic from last week, actually. It was reported earlier today that Julio Jones and the Atlanta Falcons have agreed to revise their contract, and then Julio Jones will report to camp. 
Um, of course, Julio Jones was um, said that he would sit out training camp as well and maybe into the season um, over you know recent contract disputes. I think he's the seventh or eighth highest paid wide receiver currently in the NFL um, when he's obviously a top three talent along with Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham Jr. Wasn't being paid as such. Um, Jeff Schultz of The Atlantic reported that the Falcons converted some of his 2019 base salary into a bonus of $2 million for 2018. Um, they said that, you know, they this doesn't mean that they're done, you know, in their contract negotiations. They are hoping to, you know, work on things next offseason um, with Julio. Now that they gave him two more million this year, bump up his salary a little, he will report, play a full season, and they'll discuss a long-term extension next year. Now, if you had not listened to what I uh, said on last week's episode or you missed the episode, first off, you know, go and check that out. It was definitely one of my favorite episodes um, we've had on the Blake Pace podcast so far. Um, I was talking about how um, the Atlanta Falcons are, you know, seemingly preparing to screw over Julio Jones um, at the end of next season or whenever his contract is up. Um, Julio's numbers have decreased the last two years, um, you know, since Kyle Shanahan left. Um, you know, since, you know, Steve Sarkeesian came in, the new offensive coordinator, um, they recently drafted, uh, Calvin Ridley in the first round of last year's NFL draft, uh, you know, another wide receiver, um, you know, it, it should be expected that as Julio and, you know, another season, um, with another former first round pick from Alabama opposite him uh, in the receiving game, you know, a top five running back duo in the backfield, um, that, you know, it should be expected Julio's numbers might decrease, uh, even more next season, just because, you know, more touches are going to go to Ridley. Um, you know, the offensive scheme doesn't necessarily just say Julio, Julio, Julio. Um, and that way at the end of the season, the Falcons can be like, Oh, Julio, we're, we're ready to extend your contract. Let's talk. Let's talk numbers. Julio Jones will sit down and say, all right, I'm a top three wide receiver in football still. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily, you know, in the you know beginning of my prime, but I'm definitely still in the prime of my career. I deserve to be paid. I've, you know, been the, the eighth highest paid receiver in football. You know, last season, I think I'm way worth more than that. I want to be paid as, you know, at least a top three receiver in football. And then the Atlanta management will say, well, look, you're getting older. Your numbers are down. We just drafted this stud wide receiver out of Alabama. Um, he's young. He had a great rookie season. Your numbers have also dripped down since, uh, you know, this new offensive scheme. We're riding with Steve Sarkeesian as our offensive coordinator. Um, the running back duo is really what's, you know, we're, we're riding on now. We're more of a run first team. Um, numbers are down. You're getting older. You know, maybe he has another injury um, this upcoming season. And they're going to say, listen, we're not willing to pay you top money. Um, and then Julio Jones is going to be screwed because, you know, at the end of the day, Julio will get paid from another team. But it, it's kind of going to be like a Le'Veon Bell situation where it's like, well, we don't want to give you all this, you know, guaranteed money when you're maybe at the end of your prime. Um, we don't want to be sitting here when you're 34 years old making, you know, you know, the you know top money at the position. And we're not getting that, you know, elite level of talent that we are paying for today. Um, so, you know, I was hoping that this wouldn't happen. Um, of course, Julio getting two more, two million more for this upcoming year. Good for him. Um, but I think that this has potentially even more so of a, um, you know, long-term uh, effect on Julio Jones' career and his connection with the Falcons organization he is reporting, uh, you know, the $2 million helped him get to where he wants to be to play this season. But, you know, giving everything that we had talked about in last week's episode, 
Um, this isn't the right step in Julio getting the money he deserves. I was in the you know mindset that he should hold out. Um, I believe if you hold out and you don't have Julio Jones in the Atlanta offense, um, I think Steve Sarkeesian would struggle even more as an offensive coordinator in play calling um, because we don't know what we have in Calvin Ridley yet. Um, and then also I believe Matt Ryan's would, you know, take a step back um, because, you know, when you have a top three receiver to it, it makes playing football a little bit easier. Just look at Eli Manning, what he's, you know, been able to keep his career alive with Odell Beckham Jr. Um, in the lineup. And, you know, if he held out and the Falcons took a step back, maybe, you know, they, they, they get a wild card spot again, or maybe they just missed the playoffs. They'll realize the value that Julio Jones brings to their organization. And then they will, you know, finally pay him the top money that he deserves. Now, him reporting to camp, playing in this season, that changes things up a little bit. What we need is that we need some, you know, probably one of the better years in Julio Jones' career, which, like I say, is going to be hard to get just given the circumstances, the the, the personnel now, the offensive scheme not playing into, you know, feeding Julio as much as usual. Um, and at the end of the day, I really think that this is going to, this is still going to hurt Julio Jones' pockets a bunch. I don't believe that at the end of the day next year, we're going to be sitting here and saying that Julio Jones did the right thing by playing this season. And I don't think he's going to get the money that he definitely deserves at the end of next season from Atlanta. Last bit of news before we head into our uh, season preview for the Tennessee Titans and Houston Texans. Um, you know, report came out today that uh, Jets quarterback Teddy Bridgewater might be on the trade block after an impressive, um, you know, few series at, you know, OTAs, minicamp as well. Um, you know, people are saying if he has a strong preseason, strong training camp, um, he might, you know, there might be a trade value if, you know, a team loses their quarterback. Um, my two cents, I've never been in on Sam Darnold fully. I think that while he was selected as the second highest quarterback in this draft class, I viewed him as probably around the fourth or fifth best of the draft. Um, I definitely didn't think he was, you know, drafted where I would have taken him. Um, I have questions about him. I think a quarterback that works better out of the pocket than in the pocket is, you know, great for when you have to scramble behind a bad offensive line. But, you know, in today's NFL, you know, you still have to be a good pocket passer to be successful in the league. Um, of course, I, you know, his hand size is, you know, it's funny we talk about hand size, but it does matter when it comes to fumbles and, you know, you know, being able to hold on to the football. Turnovers are definitely an issue in college as well. Um, I just have a, a, a few questions about Darnold's game before I was, you know, ever ready to say that he is ready to start day one. But apparently out of Jets camp. Um, you know, he's, it's his job to lose are the reports. Um, of course they also have Josh McCown in there as kind of your veteran presence here, you know, guy that's, you know, been around the league, um, has, you know, worked through the trials and tribulations of, of the league and what the NFL can bring. So it's great, you know, to have an older guy like that, <clears throat> like that around, you know, your future, you know, franchise, um, quarterback, but now you just have a crowded quarterback room and, you know, the odd man out is Teddy Bridgewater. And, uh, you know, Teddy Bridgewater coming off that uh, horrific uh, knee injury a couple of years ago, apparently is is healthy, um, has had a good minicamp, good OTAs. And um, it, it'll be interesting to see where this goes through uh, the, the remaining, you know, weeks into the preseason. Um, if he goes out there and, you know, looks great on the field and he's moving around just fine, there seems to be, you know, good movement in his legs, 
His reads are okay. Um, he's still, you know, a young quarterback that definitely had a lot of potential um, <clears throat> being selected in the first round a few years back. Of course, the injury set him back a little. Minnesota decided to move on from him. Signs in New York, um, but he could easily be a trade chip. Um, you know, there are a few teams in the NFL right now that I believe are a year or two away from moving on from their um, current franchise quarterbacks. Um, two teams specifically, the Miami Dolphins and Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton and the Cincinnati Bengals. Those two um, pairings, I, I just believe, are at the you know end of you know not their their time spent together. I believe that eventually, you know, if it was a bad season this year or next year, that they would move on in search for another quarterback. I just it's not a good fit. It hasn't worked through this point in their careers with their respective teams. So maybe they you know would want to take a flyer on <clears throat> a Teddy Bridgewater. He's on a one year deal. You get him in there. Of course, you're giving up on your quarterback that you have right now. But, you know, I believe that even Teddy Bridgewater right now has a higher potential um, to be successful for either of those franchises, you know, more than Andy Dalton could give to Cincinnati today, more than Ryan Tannehill could give to Miami today. Um, So those are two teams I think would be really interesting to find. Um, Maybe, you know, a a trade in there as the preseason goes on if the Jets are really trying to move on from Teddy Bridgewater, uh, if, you know, he has a lot of value. Um, Besides that, there aren't really many teams. I look at the NFC you know, just about all their teams are are pretty filled up um, with franchise quarterbacks, young guys, or, you know, age vets like, you know, a Drew Brees, you know, guys who have been here in the league for a while. Um, you know, another team maybe to kind of look at, um, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars, you have to take on Teddy Bridgewater's uh, cap hit. So I don't know if there's a deal to be done there between Jacksonville and New York. But like I said, I've never been high on Blake Bortles. And this is kind of just my first reaction um, you know, teams that I think, you know, Teddy Bridgewater could be an upgrade from. Um, I, I definitely believe he'll, he would be an upgrade over, uh, Blake Bortles. Of course it, it would be really tough. You'd have to move one of your larger salary guys, um, on Jacksonville, you know, a big contract like Calais Campbell, who you just brought in. Um, you, you know, you just brought in Andrew Norwell, the highest paid guard in football. You'd really have to work out the money in Jacksonville to bring in a guy like Teddy. Um, and meanwhile, while you're paying Blake Bortles, but that's a team that also I see, you know, would upgrade at the position if they were able to make a deal go, um, in the end, you know, if I were the jets, I'm not moving on from Teddy Bridgewater. I don't, you know, necessarily feel like Sam Darnold. I want to make my, you know, day one starter this season. I think that he would do well, um, you know, kind of like in a Pat Mahomes situation last year, or maybe like a Baker Mayfield situation this year sit a year behind on the bench, um, you know, kind of get adjusted to everything that's going on in the NFL, um, get comfortable. And then, you know, hopefully next season, you know, you, you start from the, from day one, something like that. Um, they don't seem to be moving in that direction. I would keep Teddy Bridgewater, but it doesn't seem the way they're going. Hopefully, you know, Teddy can have a, a good career wherever he ends up. If he gets traded to either of those teams that I mentioned, I mean, if he gets traded to Jacksonville, um, I've said this before, it would take a league average quarterback for the Jacks to be a Super Bowl championship team, in my opinion. Um, I look at, you know, their defense elite talent on every level. Um, special teams is, you know, at, at least average, if not above average. I like the offensive line. You added help at guard this offseason. Leonard Fournette, I'm a little worried about the injury history, but, um, you know, hopefully they, you know, could do more in the passing game to, you know, lessen the touches for Fournette. I like the young receiving core. Um so, you know, that would be and definitely be an interesting situation. 
no, with Cincinnati, to me, they are, they're a team that I don't think is going to do well this year, but they have a lot of young stars that I feel like whoever takes over as the head coach, whoever's the next quarterback in Cincinnati, they're going to have some great talent to play alongside with. It just hasn't worked yet. It hasn't all come together in one piece. It was kind of like what you got in Los Angeles um, with the Rams or back in St. Louis. You know, you had Todd Gurley on the team. You had Aaron Donald. You had Tremaine Johnson. Um, you drafted Jared Goff, but, you know, it just took a while for everything to click, whether it was the change in coaching staff or, you know, eventually changing and making Jared Goff the guy at quarterback. Um, that's kind of what I see Cincinnati has potential to be. I like Shaq Lawson. I love Joe Mixon. Of course, A.J. Green is a t is an extremely talented receiver, definitely a top 10 guy. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just, you know, this is something I'm kind of just raw reaction to because I just saw this pop up on my phone about Teddy Bridgewater possibly being available um, throughout the preseason, maybe into the regular season, uh, just because they have so many quarterbacks in there right now that are apparently, you know, of good quality. So it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out the next few weeks. Um, if I were the Jets, I'm keeping Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's probably the best quarterback on the team right now. But, you know, of course, if they think Darnold's the future, then they're going to have to move Teddy Bridgewater and maybe get in some great value in return if he has a strong preseason. All right, so now we're moving on to our final two uh team previews um, for the upcoming season. We're going to finish up in the AFC South. I'm going to start with the Tennessee Titans. And one thing I always like to do when, you know, looking at how a team is going to play out the following season, I look at the previous season, I look at their schedule, I look at who they played against, the success that they had. Then you have to look into the offseason, you know, who were their early picks in the draft? What veterans did they add? Who were their biggest losses? Um, was there a change in the coaching staff? And then I look at their schedule for the following year. How is it going to play out? You know, if they have a strong, if they have a really tough schedule at the beginning, you know, maybe they can, you know, get some solid wins at the end. If they, you know, have a really tough, you know, five or six games to close out the season, will that be what keeps them out of the playoffs? Um, so looking at, you know, Tennessee, they had one of the more intriguing or interesting off seasons in the league. Um, of course, you know, the whole new coaching staff in there. Um, replacing the former uh, regime. Um, some of their biggest additions um, via free agency, they brought in Dion Lewis um, and Malcolm Butler from the New England Patriots. Um, they brought in Benny Logan at defensive tackle, Will Compton at inside linebacker. Um, they added Blaine Gabbert as their backup quarterback. Um, some of their losses, uh, DeMarco Murray retired recently, but he was also uh, a free agent before that. Eric Decker at wide receiver. Uh, they lost Avery Williamson at inside linebacker. Um, Bryce McCain at corner cornerback. Um, and then some of their early picks were Sean Evans at linebacker. Um, Harold Landry at edge, who I think, you know, is a, you know, low floor but high ceiling type of guy. I feel like, you know, in a few years he could be a guy that really is, you know, maybe potentially the best pass rusher from this previous draft class. I just think that health is a, is a main concern. Can he stay healthy for a full season? He was a little banged up, some ankle injuries. Um, but you know, I think is a guy that can be high potential. Rashawn Evans, um, was, you know, wasn't a top two guy at the position for me. Um, but he was definitely my third favorite linebacker, um, out of this draft class. I thought he was a good fit right in the middle of that defense. Um, and then, yeah, you got to look at their schedule last year and, and for the AFC South, it was a very misleading year because you did have the Tennessee Titans who made the playoffs as a wildcard team. But you also have to consider that the Texans lost Deshaun Watson for a majority of the year. The Colts did not have their star quarterback, Andrew Luck. Both of those teams really took a backseat to Jacksonville and Tennessee 
Um, and, you know, they didn't have their, their star quarterback. The rosters couldn't work. Ten, I mean, Houston was basically hurt on every level of the field. Poor offensive line. Traded away their star left tackle. Both Indianapolis and Houston kind of took last year as a wash, given, you know, all the injuries that they had. Um, and because of that, you had Tennessee get in some easy wins, just as Jacksonville. You know, Jacksonville last year went 4-0 against the Texans and Colts and ended up in the playoffs, um, winning that division. Tennessee is into was into the postseason last year, um, but, you know, made a lot of significant changes. Um, you know, I believe that there's going to be a really big season um, this year for Derrick Henry. Um, I like Tennessee's offensive line. Um, the, the previous coaching staff, I think did a terrible job managing the snap counts at running back. DeMarco Murray was just run, 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 run. And it was Derrick Henry would come on for one play and break off an eight yard run. And then he'd be off the field. I didn't, I didn't understand their game plan or their approach in the running offense. Um, but I believe that Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis are set for, you know, becoming one of those up and coming running back duos in the league. Um, Derrick Henry, He's a big guy, but his speed and his ability to, you know, break around the uh, around the edge and get up the field, his speed combination with his size is honestly very unique in the league. Um, and I think that he could be set for, you know, a breakout year at the position. Deion Lewis is, you know, can do everything out of the backfield, did a lot in New England. Um, I like, you know, him as, you know, the number two at running back, um, you know, at wide receiver. I like Corey Davis. I think he came on a little late into the season, um, but hopefully he can, you know, take that next step. Um, of course, the firm, the former uh, first round pick in last year's draft, um, you know, I think that he has potential to be, you know, a number one receiver on a team. Um, I just think it's going to take a little time. Hopefully this year he'll take another step and maybe, you know, a season or two from now he's up there in that number one wide receiver conversation. You know, at offensive line, they have, you know, probably one of the more intriguing uh, tackle combos in the league. I am a big Jack Conklin fan. I think he's, you know, set in, I think it's his third season, uh, a really big year again. And Taylor Lewan is is definitely up there as one of the, the better tackles in football. Um, the interior line is okay. Uh, Josh Klein, Quentin Spain as their guards, um, Ben Jones at center, it's, you know, you're not getting anything great in the middle, but it's it's not, you know, a detriment to your offense. Um, you know, they lost Eric Decker, but he really didn't have that great of a year last year. Um, you know, he's also getting up there in age. I was okay with them moving on from him. Um, <clears throat> I also have, I have a little concern in uh, Delaney Walker. He's getting a little bit older. I think he's turning 34 in a couple weeks. Um, he's definitely getting up there in age. They did uh, take Janu Smith um, back in the 2017 draft in the third round. Um, I think that, you know, you might see a little bit snap increase as Delaney Walker, you know, gets up there in age, loses a little bit of a step. He did seem to slow down towards the end of the year. Um, at the end of the day on offense, my biggest concern is Marcus Mariota. And, you know, recently I've been seeing a lot of things in the news since uh, Jameis Winston was suspended. Um, it was like, oh man, the Titans did a tremendous job in picking Marcus Mariota or like not me. I mean, of course he was the only quarterback left, but man, they dodged a bullet not having to take Jameis. Marcus Mariota is a good quarterback. Do not get me wrong, but he has not, you know, done anything on a football field yet to really wow me. I mean, he threw more interceptions than he did touchdowns last year. He has really struggled to stay healthy for a full season. He's had some hamstring uh, issues, um, several just lower leg injuries that, you know, the best ability 
is reliability. And if you can't stay on the football field for a full season, um, you know, how much are you actually helping your team? You know, the accuracy has been down. He really hasn't been that utilized in the running offense as, you know, I thought he would be coming out of that Oregon offense with Chip Kelly. Um, you know, this is a big year for Marcus Mariota's career. Um, just because he's getting to that point where this Titans team it has some nice weapons around it. They were in the playoffs last year. Now Mariota needs to take that next step as, you know, a, a bigger leader, you know, whether it's on the locker, in the locker room, on the football field, um, you know, they seem to just rely last year, you know, it was smash mouth, just running the ball down your throats um, with DeMarco Murray, you know, Derrick Henry off the bench. Um, hopefully they can trans transition now that you've got, you know, a young um, wide receiver in Corey Davis. You also have Rashard Matthews across uh, on the other side. Um, you know, hopefully the passing offense can get there. I really need to see Marcus Mariota step up this upcoming season. and He's going to play a big part into the success of this franchise in 2018. Um, their biggest offseason move was definitely bringing in uh, Mal Malcolm Butler. Uh, of course, you know, new head coach Mike Vrabel, who was over in uh, New England for a while, brought in Deion Lewis and Malcolm Butler. Um, you know, I am a big fan of this secondary. I think it's one of their strengths. Um, you know, bringing in a guy like Malcolm Butler, former Super Bowl MVP, um, you know, you have also another former Patriot, Logan Ryan, um, Adoree Jackson, uh, had a, <clears throat> a really good season last year as a rookie. He's a nice up and coming corner. I think that, you know, them with, uh, Kevin Bayard, who had, you know, a breakout season was one of the best safeties, um, in football last year. Um, Jonathan Cyprian, you know, getting a little bit older, um, didn't have that great of a season last year and, you know, was a little banged up as well, um. Bayard will, you know, get the job done enough for where I'm not concerned about the safety position. I actually think that the secondary is a really big strength for Tennessee when you look at just even the names. Of course, you got to see him on a field together for the first time. Is he's, you know, bringing in Malcolm Butler? How does it all fit? Um, but I think that that's going to be um, a really big key for their success this season is how strong their secondary can be. Um, we just need to see it on the field. In the front seven, um, you know, they they kind of had just like a, they didn't have a great offseason. They didn't have a bad offseason. You know, you lose Avery Williamson, you draft Rashawn Evans, he'll probably be your starter in the middle of the defense. Um, I really thought that a, a big weakness for them last year was the middle of their um, defensive line. I, I thought the defensive lineman was, you know, their run defense was not that great. They did bring in um, Benny Logan. Of course, you know, some other guys on the front line are getting a little bit older. Um, Brian Arakbo is turning 32. Derek Morgan is getting up there in age. Um, you know, I don't believe that they're necessarily going to get better at this point in their career. I think they're, you know, on a little bit of a decline. But you did take Harold Landry in the second round. Like I said, I think he is a uh, low floor, high ceiling type of guy where you're either going to get nothing out of him and he won't be able to stay healthy or he could be the best pass rusher for that class if he you know, has a clean bill of health for a full year. Um, so the defense to me really upgraded in the secondary. It was already a strong point for them with a Dory Jackson um, <clears throat> and Kevin Bayard. Bring in Malcolm Butler, of course, is a great addition. I like Rashawn Evans in the middle of that defense. Um, you lose Avery Williamson, you needed to replace it. Um, you know, the front seven, I guess, is my biggest concern on the defensive side for them, um, especially in the run defense. They, you know, definitely struggled in that last year. Um, hopefully the, the additions they have made will help, uh, next year.
And then, like I said, you got to look at their schedule and it does not start off easy at all. Um, you know, in their first five games, they have to take on Houston. Then they travel to Jacksonville. Then they uh, face the Philadelphia Eagles, the former Super Bowl champions. Um, they play the Buffalo Bills after that. Um, and then after that, you have to travel to the Chargers, travel to the Cowboys, and then play the Patriots at home. You do have a game against Miami in there, but, you know, that is a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. And I could say one of them, the one being against Miami, is a guaranteed win. Of course, you know, we'll have to see the health of Houston by then. Um, what does Buffalo look like with their quarterback situation? I think the Chargers are one of the better teams in football. I think the same with Jacksonville, Philadelphia, um, of course, the Patriots. Um, so, you know, you look at Tennessee's first eight games, you really have one guaranteed win. And, you know, I think at best through their first eight, they could go three and five. And then if you're sitting at three and five, you have your division games late in the season. Those are never guaranteed wins. Um, you know, two against Indianapolis, that doesn't include what the Colts could potentially be by next year with a healthy Andrew Luck. You have another game against Jacksonville and Houston. Um, the way that their schedule is playing out, I think that the Titans are, you know, going to take a step back and I think that you know even if it's just purely based off schedule if it's not I'm a little concerned about just how different their team looks you still have Marcus Mariota at quarterback I believe Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis is an upgrade at the running back position I think their secondary improved but of course you know in the trenches um, interior offensive line not great defensive front seven it's young or it's old it's not like a mix of you know, players in their prime. I think some of the guys are, you know, some of the older guys are getting too old to really be standout players. And I think some of the young guys are, we need to wait a few years until to see if they're going to be, you know, quality starters. Um, and then, yeah, just mixing in that, those concerns, new coaching staff, it's all putting something together on the fly. And I don't think it's going to work from day one. So with all of that said, and just how difficult that schedule is, um, you know, I think that at best we're looking at a, a six and 10, seven and nine season out of Tennessee. Now that's, you know, definitely, you know, a few steps back from last year's nine and seven record. Um, you know, definitely not the direction that they would want to be moving in, but you know, you're going to see this in a few different organizations. You know, I also just quickly off the top of my head, think, you know, Oakland, um, they're another team that I think you're just putting everything together on the fly. And I think, you know, right away, you're going to end up just, you know, having a year where you need to really find your new identity. Um, and it's going to take some time to build around that. Tennessee has nice pieces. I think that their quarterback has potential. I think they have a, a what can be a number one wide receiver in Corey Davis. I think Derrick Henry's a beast. I love him. I like the tackles. I like the secondary. It's just putting too much together on the football field that hasn't been there already and you're just going to put it out there week one and face Houston, Jacksonville, Philadelphia, uh, the Chargers, Cowboys, and Patriots in the first half of your season. I think that, you know, even starting that slow, as I believe, it'll be too um, damaging to really repair by the end of the season when the games get a little bit easier. Uh, Tennessee, to me, a 6-10 and 10 team, maybe 7-9, and nine, but they miss out on the postseason um, and actually have their first losing season uh, in the last few years. And last but not least, we get to the Houston Texans. Um, and, you know, honestly, I keep saying this about every team in the AFC South because this is where we're starting. But, you know, this is one of the more intriguing divisions in football, just given 
the parity, you know, what we saw last year is nothing like what we're going to see this upcoming season. Um, a lot of divisions you can look at and say, well, not much has changed in one year. But in the AFC South, I mean, you've got the Jags who maybe have one of the best rosters in football. Two franchise quarterbacks and Deshaun Watson and Andrew Luck coming back for their teams. The Titans throwing a whole bunch of new pieces onto the football field and seeing how it works after making the playoffs last year. It really is going to be an intriguing season for the AFC South. And, you know, the Houston Texans, I think, are set for a much better season uh, than what we got last year. And like I said, the first thing you look at, what happened in the offseason, um, you know, they brought in a bunch of offensive linemen, Zach Fulton at guard, uh, Central Henderson at tackle, Senio Calamente at guard. They also upgraded their secondary. Um, Aaron Colvin, they brought him in from Jacksonville after losing A.J. Bouye to Jacksonville, um, I believe, last offseason. Uh, Aaron Colvin, one of the best slot corners in football. Um, I, I like him. He's a young guy. I think that he might be their biggest free agency addition. Um, and if it's not him, it's safety Tyrone Matthew, um, who kind of, you know, fizzled out in his time in Arizona. And, um, you know, kind of there, there was a new wave or a new regime in a, in Arizona. Honey Badger jumps to Houston um, along with a, another safety, Johnson Betamosi. Um, you know, they added pieces where they needed it um their secondary was atrocious last year they upgraded brought in one of the better uh <clears throat> slot corners a big bodied aggressive hitting uh safety and then their offensive line which is still you know one of the worst in football they did you know bring in three guys they also added some guys in the draft um their early draft picks justin reed safety um they drafted offensive tackle martinus rankin um tight end jordan atkins um, but then you look at their losses. They lost a few offensive linemen too. Um, you know, Derek Newton, Chris Clark, two tackles gone. Uh, Xavier Suafilo, guard gone. You lost inside linebacker Brian Cushing. Uh, cornerback Marcus Williams. Safety Marcus Gilchrist and safety Eddie Pleasant. Um, you also lost Tom Savage at, you know, quarterback, but you brought in Joe Webb as well. To me, the free agency and draft um, for Houston wasn't tremendous it wasn't awful they added pieces where they had weaknesses um, but the biggest thing that is going to change for Houston in 2018 is health um, rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson entering his second season he had a tremendous start to his NFL career before tearing his ACL in a non-contact injury in the middle of a week um, in the middle of the season um, of course missed the rest of the year hopefully is ready to um, you know start day one again full health because, you know, he really showed some early flashes of brilliance and, you know, potentially to be the franchise quarterback in Houston. Um, you know, almost just as important as that, maybe even more important, is the return of J.J. Watt, um, you know, who was, you know, a few years ago, you know, defensive player of the year, one of the best defensive players in football, really hasn't been able to stay healthy the last few years. Um, you know, it was I saw a report today that it's, you know, he's expected to be able to finally play a full season of football. Um, you know, in the past few years, there were concerns about his body, if he could make it, um, so far there haven't been those again this year, but as always, I, I need to see it to believe it, but him coming back, um, you know, I, it's unfortunate. We've never really gotten to see a full season of Jadavian Clowney and JJ Watt playing on a football field together. Um, you know, they, you know, both healthy, both playing, um, are, you know, potentially one of the best pass rush duos in football. Um, so, you know, I think that that is a big upgrade. You get him back healthy. You keep Jadavion Clowney healthy. You get Deshaun Watson back healthy. Um, and you know, that was their biggest 
um, their biggest differences in this upcoming season where I think it's really going to change for them. They really struggled with all the injuries they had, poor offensive line play. Um, they bring in guys on the offensive line. Did they get much better? No, but you know, you've got a mobile quarterback who can work outside the pocket. You get back your, you know, your best second best defensive player in JJ Watt. I'm a top, you know, defender at the position. Um, hopefully, this team can stay healthy um, because I really think they have a lot of potential this upcoming year just looking at the different positions for them. You know, at receiver, they have some two studs. Um, well, one at least an insane stud, DeAndre Hopkins, who I think on, you know, in the NFL is one of the more slept on receivers. I believe he's a top five talent. Um, he is an, an amazing guy who really had been playing in Houston without a great quarterback. Then his connection with Deshaun Watson hit and it was a it was looking amazing through the first seven weeks um, <clears throat> before we you know we lost Deshaun for the, the rest of the season. You know, who else looked really great with uh, Deshaun Watson was Will Fuller, who has been, you know, up and down in his time in Houston as well. Had, you know, I think what game was it? It was against uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Five pass, five catches, 125 yards and two touchdowns in that game. Um, Deshaun Watson seems to have a really good connection with these receivers. And these receivers play a lot better when they have a, you know, a talented quarterback under center. Um, you know, like I said earlier, they spent a third round pick on tight end Jordan Atkins, um, you know, maybe an upgraded tight end, you know, I, I need to wait and see later round pick didn't really have him that high on my board of tight ends, but is still a guy that you can put on the field and maybe see if he has a good connection um, with Deshaun Watson. Like I said, they brought in some guys in free agency on the offensive line, but of course, when you don't have a first or second round pick in the draft, uh, you really can't add a stud offensive lineman in there to really make a big upgrade. To me, this is still one of the worst offensive lines in football which really doesn't help you when you've got a quarterback returning from a torn ACL injury. Um, but hopefully by the time that Watson is back on a football field, um, whether it's in preseason, regular season, he is, you know, able to move around well enough in the pocket, can escape. Um, hopefully he doesn't need to, you know, lose his legs again behind a, a, a line. As a, as a Colts fan who got to watch Andrew Luck get torn apart behind a terrible offensive line the first few years in his career, um, you know, you just got to be very cautious um, when, you know, putting your franchise quarterback in a, in a situation that could really mess up his career. Um, you know, the running back position is okay, I guess. Um, you know, Dante Foreman uh, last year um, had, you know, some really nice plays here and there, but then also tore his Achilles uh, in, I think, the end of November um, it, you know, not certain if he's going to be ready for the season opener. Um, you have Lamar Miller there, but you know, it really went, you know, the team really went in other directions with Miller towards the end of the season. Alfred Blue got more touches. Of course, Dante Foreman, um, before he got hurt, was getting more touches. Lamar Miller is a guy there. They paid him, um, a decent amount of money at the time. Um, really hasn't done that much. Um, and then Alfred Blue, another guy, but also he just, you know, Everyone in this running offense seemed to just have a really bad year because they couldn't work behind that offensive line. I still don't see that as, you know, being something that they can uh, do this upcoming season. You know, they haven't upgraded the offensive line enough where I can say, man, these running backs won't get, you know, their asses kicked, you know, 20 times a game where they can stay healthy by game 14, 15, 16. Um, so, you know, the running game is definitely a concern. It's going to be a very pass heavy offense when you've got Watson, um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller. You know, um, <clears throat> Watson can also provide some in the running game, depending on how healthy he is. But um, they're definitely going to have to focus on the pass game 
uh, because of how bad their offensive line and running game is going into the season. Starting in the you know the defensive front, um, I, I completely forgot that he, they lost uh, Whitney Merciless also last year along with J.J. Watt. Um, in kind of one of the weirder stories, he lost them both for the season on the same game in the same drive uh, uh, against the Chiefs last year. Um, you know, J.J. Watt hopefully coming back fully healthy. You know, there was previous injuries where he wasn't returning at 100%. Um, him being able to miss a full season hopefully got him to come back, um, you know, get fully healthy for this upcoming season. He's going to play a huge part into their role um, on the defensive front. With uh, Whitney Merciless coming back, with Jadavion Clowney, this is one of the stronger defensive lines in football if they can remain healthy. Like I said before, we have not really seen them be on the field together healthy at the same time, um, really since Jadavion Clowney was drafted. So if they can get there and stay on there, one of the best, you know, you know, run stuff in the middle, pass rush on the edge, um, a healthy defensive line for Houston will be, you know, their bread and butter next season. At linebacker, like I said earlier, they did lose Brian Cushing, but he was, you know, getting a little bit older, didn't really fit as well into the defense. Um, and honestly, you know, a couple guys, Zach Cunningham um, and Benardic McKinney, make sure I said that right. Um, you know, seem to have a little bit better seasons than Cushing. Um, Cunningham was one of the better rookies last year, actually, at the linebacker position. Um, you know, hopefully can expand on that in his second season. And then you look at the secondary, like I said, you know, I, you know, Aaron Colvin may have been their biggest offseason addition, um, a great slot corner. Um, <clears throat> you know, bringing in, uh, Tyrone Matthew is big if he can, you know, hit again. Um, you know, like I said, he kind of fizzled out in Arizona. If he can, you know, hit his strides again, he's definitely one of the more intriguing uh, hybrid safety guys in the league. Um, this defense has a lot of potential to be, um, you know, to complement what the passing offense is going to do. It all comes down to health for me for Houston. Um, can they stay on the field at the same time? J.J. Watt has missed, you know, injury because of injuries. Jadavion Clowney has. Tyrone Matthew has had some injury history. Um, you know, linebacking core isn't that deep, um, but I like, like I said, I like Zach Cunningham. Hopefully he can have a big second season. Um, and then on the offense, offensive line is, is a concern to me. It is not going to help the running game at all. Um, hopefully Dante Foreman, by the time he is ready to return healthy, um, can be what we saw or some of the glimpses of what we saw early last season. Um, and then you gotta, like I said, you gotta look at the schedule, just as like I said with Tennessee. Um, and fortunately, for Houston, it's it's not that bad. They do have to play the Patriots um, in you know their first month of the season, but you know it gets a lot easier after that first September. Um, you get in a stretch of nine games. You get to play the Bills, a winnable game. The Dolphins, definitely a winnable game. Uh, the Browns, you know, Browns are you know definitely a better team than what they used to be, but I think it's still a winnable game. Colts is an intriguing matchup. Um, you know, I think. Fully healthy, the, the the Houston Texans have better players, and you also get to play the Jets in that span of nine games. So there is at least you know five wins uh, at a you know the the meat and bones of your season. I think that Houston is really set for you know a, a worst to first kind of year, but just it, there's so many different factors that come into it. Is Jacksonville going to be the same? Is Blake Bortles you know going to improve? Because if so then the division should be Jacksonville's. Um, is Houston going to be fully healthy? If so, and Blake Bortles doesn't improve, this is Houston's division. Well, what if Andrew Luck comes back? And we've seen Andrew Luck 
dominate this you know division when he's fully healthy it doesn't matter what team is really around him he's led some bad teams deep in the postseason before um tennessee if they just throw everything together on the football field and it works they have one of the more intriguing rosters in the division so really it's a it's a toss-up to me where this division is going to go um you know i've given you my record predictions except for the texans i believe that they are in that 10 to 6 10 and 6 nine and seven range um and that and that's what's going to end up winning this afc south is whoever can get to 10 and 6 i think it's going to be competitive enough competitive enough where first place is at 10 and 6 and last is at 6 and 10 maybe even 7 and 9 and you're just fitting a bunch of teams in the middle there of you know maybe they make a wild card um you know who wins the division it's really just it to me it's in, in the AFC, at least the most wide open division. I think that all four teams could, you know, potentially win um, the AFC South. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw two teams in the playoffs um, or just one, or, you know, we could see the two wildcard spots be taken by, you know, a mix of the AFC South. It is really um, the most intriguing division in the AFC. Um, I've given my record predictions. I think each team is around that six to 10 10 to 6 range um, I, if, if you were putting you know if you had me put money on it I think the Jaguars are going to win the division um, but I also think Houston would be in second um, Indianapolis in third and you know Tennessee it lasts in that division just because they're throwing everything together on there without really much of um, experience together on the field so you know if I'm rattling it off Jacksonville wins the division I think Houston would be able to make the playoffs I think the AFC is a little weaker this year um, maybe Indianapolis if they can get you know that ninth win in there but I you know that's a tough one I think they're more around eight and eight or seven and nine and then Tennessee I'm around that ten, uh, six and ten season um, but it is definitely going to be one of the more intriguing divisions to watch and you know I just mumbled over a bunch of my words there but I'm very excited to watch how the AFC South unfolds in 2018. And of course, with all that said, we have come to the end of the Blake Pace podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. As always, uh, you can find me on Twitter at BlakeAndrewPace. Um, if you want to, you know, ask me any questions, DM me on there, hit me up. Um, I'd love to, you know, talk some sports, love to bring your questions onto the show. Um, if you want to send me an email, BlakeAndrewPace at gmail.com, hit me up there. Um, I'm working on a few um, season preview pieces in writing, so that, those will be on my uh, website, um, which I will give you that address once it's published up in the next few weeks. we got a lot coming, you know, preseason starts, uh, preseason games start next week. I'm excited for the football season. I hope you guys are. I hope you guys ride with the Blake Pace podcast into the upcoming season. We will catch you next week on the next episode of the pod.